Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hey all, it's Kate here, and I'm bringing you a short, sweet, and punchy episode today. So, If you've hung around Farm Commons for any amount of time, you might know that one of our most basic best practices is for farmers to write down their lease agreement. And there's lots of good reasons to do that. We won't actually get into those today, but instead we're gonna take, in this episode, we're gonna take that best practice of getting a written lease and kind of level it up. Because a written lease is fine and good, but what happens if the landowner who signed the lease passes away? or sells the land. And this is especially relevant for farmers and ranchers who are signing long-term leases that extend five plus years into the future. A lot can happen in five years. So how do you ensure that you still have access to the land if the ownership changes? So this this is a big question. And of course, I've got Rachel here to help walk us through this question. Hi, Rachel. Hello, hello. It's a fine day for a lease discussion, isn't it? I mean, it always is. is, (laughs) Truly, (laughs) it is always. So first question for you, is a lease still valid if the landowner who signed it passes away, sells their land, or, you know, goes bankrupt and loses their land? Good questions. Good questions. Um, You know, we wouldn't really have a podcast episode if there was a really short answer of yes or no. So, you know, we have a podcast episode. So, you know, the answer is it depends and what we'll be talking about is how there's there's a few different tiers of resilience, we could call it, that farmers and ranchers can use to protect their access to, to the leased land. The first tier of resilience you already alluded to, you need a written lease and you need to write the lease um, according to your desired terms. Do you want the lease to continue if the landowner dies, goes into bankruptcy, fill in the blank? The first thing you got to do is specify that and then get the owner's commitment to it or the land or or the farmer if you are the landowner. So, you know, that's the number one question. Do you want the lease to continue if the landowner goes into bankruptcy and a creditor takes it? So specify it, get the commitment. Hmm. Okay. So is it really just that easy as like writing into the lease that you want the lease to continue through all of these different contingencies that might happen? Yes, in a manner of speaking, as much as it is that easy to, you know, talk to the, you know, person on the other side and come to an agreement, um, it is pretty basic. We can use different words, though, to make it sound fancier and be more official. Lawyers like to call this a binding effect clause. And it's, it's, it's a clause that is in most leases, because honestly, most people do want the lease to continue if this individual dies, sells, goes into bankruptcy, whatever. So these binding effect clauses usually state that the obligations of the, of the contract apply to any successors or heirs who may subsequently take ownership of the land. 
And basically how they work, the responsibilities of the landowner who originally signed the lease will legally transfer to the new owners after the land changes hands. So again, it's just a, it's a super common provision in a lease. So for folks listening who already have a written lease, maybe used a template, odds are good that it's already there, but certainly important to double check. Another fancy term that we can, we can use um, to, to give this more legitimacy, in attorney speak, we say that leases run with the land. And that means that the agreement applies to the property, regardless of whether the current landowner is the person who originally signed the lease. So those are, those are some of the, you know, formal basics behind it. Hmm. Well, I do love the formal basics and the legalese, um, but I appreciate you breaking it down for us. And so what I'm picking up here is that, you know, the number one baseline is just to make sure, baseline of resilience is to make sure that your lease says that it transfers to the new landowner regardless, you know, of death, bankruptcy, etc. But it also kind of sounds like a lease that does not have that binding effect clause may may still transfer to a new owner because it, you know, quote, runs with the land. Is that right? You've got it. Absolutely. It is a reasonable expectation that all leases run with the land. But, you know, we're all about belts and suspenders around here. We don't want to open up any doors for the doubters or, or you know, folks who want to make our lives hard. We want to close the door to doubt. And so layers of resilience, tiers of resilience. It's like closing the door, then we lock it. We could even take a chair and wedge it right in front of the door just to make sure it's super hard to open. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, we love that. Getting to the locks and the chairs, right? So I know what comes next, I think. So make sure that the lease is signed by both parties and stored digitally or hard copy in a safe place because it's much easier to defend your rights in an agreement if that agreement is written down. You got it, for sure. Lock the door by making sure your lease is in writing and signed. But, but hey, let's talk heavy furniture. Should we push some in front of the door? Because if you want to do that, we have another step we can take. It's kind of fun, kind of interesting. You can record your lease with the County Land Records Office. Whoa. Record the lease with the county what what? Yep, county land records office. So let's take us way back. So, you know, um, transport in your mind to, you know, the, the, the era hundreds of years ago, the United States is pushing westward, taking native held land by treaty or by force. Um, and that land was made available to private property owners. Counties became, you know, among the first governmental bodies in charge of maintaining records of how parcels were divided up and who received ownership and how. So as a result, each county has an office that holds the information about the parcels of land in that county. This information, you know, has, has stuff like past owners, history of sales, any legally binding contracts that are attached to that land. Say, for example, the subject of our conversation today a lease agreement or easements or other good stuff. Wow. Yeah, I like almost never think about county government. So this is this is an interesting thing to learn. And <clears throat> when you, you say county land records office, I'm picturing like a small office, you know, in the basement of an obscure beige building, maybe filled with filing cabinets. Is this am I am I painting an accurate image? It sure can be. It sure can be. 
Um, I'll admit my husband works for county government and a huge part, he does Uh IT stuff. Yeah, a huge part of his job is maintaining the integrity of these files, um, electronic in particular. Um, But all counties are different. So um, I live in one of the largest counties in the United States, um, and it's also very rural. So that, you know, shapes what kind of an office you you were going to be going to. The bottom line is you can think of the image of the filing cabinets. You know, if the county is doing its job, each parcel of land has an existing record in that physical or digital file cabinet. So you can walk in, you can ask to see the record for a given parcel of land, and you may literally be given some papers. Oftentimes you get to pay for the photocopying, but, you know, and a lot of this you can also access online if you know how to search their records. Mm -hmm. If the record has been updated a lot of times, like lots of sales or things have happened to this parcel, the file might be pretty thick, Um, lots of good stuff in there. Um, But, you know, if it's only had one or two owners, it might be a rather thin record. So for anyone who's considering purchasing a piece of land, leasing it, what have you, it's a really good idea to go and get the record at the county land records office to see if there's anything curious in there, anything relevant, some leases, etc., um, that you'd be obligated to fulfill. Hmm. Okay, so that's yeah, that's really interesting to know what that process looks like. Um, but kind of circling back here, like, what is it? What does it actually mean to record a lease with the county land records office? Well, from a legal perspective, it means that you're letting everyone know that there is a legally binding agreement that attaches to that piece of land. So the county land records office will have information about sales and ownership transfers as part of the process of the land changing hands. But they won't get information about agreements like leases or easements unless someone makes sure to add those files to the land record. So In a legal sense, this is called putting people on notice. When a lease is filed with a county land records office, you, as the tenant, if you fill that role, have done everything you can to make sure that everyone knows there is a lease agreement that attaches to this land. Okay, so if putting people on notice just means like, you know, filing this piece of paper essentially away in this potentially obscure office, how, like, how does a new landowner know about that lease on the land? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, let's say that grandma dies and um, and son takes over the land or um, grandpa goes into bankruptcy and a creditor takes it. How are they supposed to know that there's a lease? Well, uh, the, 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 the child, the heir, or the person who takes the land is supposed to do their due diligence. So in the best possible world, they'll go proactively request the land record from the county office and they'll go and see what's been happening with this piece of land. But more more practically how this works is they might be involved with a title company, especially it, you know as they're going through and if there's any sort of lending happening during the transaction process, then a title company often gets included to check the county, county land records office as part of that process of issuing title insurance. So, um, so anyways, title companies often um, end up finding this and then will bring that forth while the transaction is happening. But we also have to be honest and admit that it doesn't happen sometimes. New landowners may not discover a lease at the county land records office because they never went. Maybe they, they just 
um, took over for uh, for no money. They bought with cash. They didn't get title insurance. The title insurance company didn't bring it up. All kinds of things can happen where the new landowner ends up not seeing that the lease is there. Mm. Okay. So, so you could have filed your lease and done everything that you can as a tenant, but it's possible that the new landowner still doesn't even know that you have a lease and that you're even there. So technically the new landowner can still do whatever they want, right? Like a tenant farmer might not even know that the ownership of the land that they're on is changing hands until they show up to work one day and find like a new padlock on the gate, for example. So what then? Is is the recorded lease just kind of a helpful tool for winning a potential legal battle? Yeah, indeed. That uh, if the landowner didn't find it first, it's still really important to have it there because exactly, it can help you win a legal battle. So if the new landowners do something that breaks or threatens the term of the lease agreement, like changing the lock and denying you access, then the tenant has a legal authority to do things like call the county sheriff or file an injunction, which is a is a legal process where you ask a court to tell the landowner to stop doing something, tell somebody to stop doing something. You know, when you look at it, a lot of our legal system exists really to protect private property. Uh, you know, the system of sheriffs, county government, you know, a lot of that exists um, and can be called upon to protect private property rights. Oftentimes it's used to ex- exclude people who aren't landowners, like trespassers. Um, but in this case, if you're a farmer who has a written lease on record with the county land office and it gives you access to that land, uh, that's when um, you've, got that, you've got that lease on record to help you. If you get into a legal battle with the landowner who's not respecting this lease, it's going to really help you out. It's going to it's going to really support your case. So you know it becomes a lot easier to call up the sheriff and say, "Hey, look, um, I'm being denied access to this land. My lease is on file with the county. You can go look at it. You can confirm that I have access. Can you help me? Um, you know, um, enforce my access." You know, the law loves clarity and predictability. It lo- it, it, the law wants a system where everyone can know what is expected for a piece of land, be that the tenant, the landowner, the sheriffs and the courts who are there to try to, you know, keep the wheels turning here of property ownership and management. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm wondering, given that it sounds like this is actually a pretty, like, key part of... Um, accessing land and, and, you know, putting people on notice is, is the best practice. Is it ever actually required to record a lease with the land records office? It is, yes. And especially with longer term leases. So for example, the state of New Hampshire requires any leases of seven years or more to be recorded at the county. And this is specifically so that the tenant is protected against third parties who do not know that the lease exists. So it's, it's honestly in the best interest of tenants, especially long-term tenants, to record their lease with the county. Folks in any state can check their state laws to see when a recorded lease is required. Uh, and it's also worth pointing out that recording it does usually cost some money, but it's not a lot, maybe 10, five or $10 per page or, you know, flat fee. It all depends. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I actually just did a a quick Google search for county land records offices in New Hampshire. And first of all, I'm remembering 
the reason I don't think much about county government is because they don't really exist in New England. I'm in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts has abolished all county governments. <laughs> so, and, and I, I know that's true in, um, in Connecticut as well. So, for my friends listening in New England, you might have to be looking, you know, more at like your municipal town or city government for this information. But when I look for county land records offices in New Hampshire, I'm seeing a few different potential names for what this office might be. So I see there's a county in New Hampshire that has a county office, but I'm also seeing a registry of deeds, which seems to be separate from the land records office. So it feels like the terminology for this, um, like where people should be looking for this information might be like super specific on their location. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for what people should look for when seeking out land records from this, you know, potentially obscure office. Great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's huge variability across counties in terms of how they're going to handle it. And and yeah, within states, if you, if you do a quick Google search and nothing is popping up that looks quite right, um, it's always nice to get, get offline um, and try asking the real people. If you have a favorite neighbor nearby um, that has lived there for a while, you could try asking them. If you work with an extension educator um, in your, your, your farming and, and agricultural life, try reaching out to them. If uh, those don't work out for you, or if you're near the local public library, go right there. Um, public librarians are skilled, masterful reference people. Um, they can absolutely get you not just the right name of the office, they might also be able to help you access records online if they are available. So, um, you know, if you're not already a, a fan of your public library for getting this kind of information, um, great time to start. Mm. Okay, so I'm just I'm just doing this live here, trying to find uh, just randomly looking through pulled up Hillsborough County in New Hampshire, and I'm just trying to see if I can find um, find their land records. So it looks like. Uh huh. It looks like the county as a whole has a website, and there is an option to search county records on the webpage. So it looks like here, at least, the general county office is where the land records live, not necessarily in a specific county land records office. And then, and then if I click on the link that says search county records, yep, I see that I have to pay about $2 per page. Um, I'm not seeing a way to add a lease to a land record online, but but the office does have a contact number. So I don't know. I, I, it feels like a situation where, like you said, talking to a human is probably the best place to get started with questions about how to record a lease. For sure. Yeah. They may require it in person. They might have an email or some sort of portal to upload it. But you know how it is. Getting to a human is really helpful, um, especially when, when trying to navigate county municipal processes. It, this is also a good time to mention that some people might feel resistance to recording a lease because leases contain sensitive information. In a lot of communities, how much you're paying for that access is a sensitive uh, topic. If that's a concern for anyone, um, you should know that you can file a short form or redacted lease that does not include information like prices. You could either prepare a separate shorter lease agreement for filing, or you can you, know, you could do the old-fashioned um, big black Sharpie and black it out. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. Awesome tip. So just to recap before we sign off here, one level one tier of resilience is get a written and signed lease and store it someplace safe. Make sure that it, and then the second tier is make sure it includes language that makes the lease binding to heirs and successors, that, um, that clause that Rachel mentioned. And then finally, record your lease with your county land records office, you know, or equivalent, depending on where you are. And, you know, these three things together will, you know, really help make sure that you get to stay on your land for the long term. Is there anything else that you want to add, Rachel? Nope. Those are some serious layers of resilience. I think we pushed some heavy furniture in front of the door. Um, and um, I've, I'm, no I'm doubt thinking it'll pass. hold. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Great. Well, thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs) We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing.